Hey everyone, my name is Austin and I'm one of the Ministry Apprentices here at EV. And in case you missed the announcement last week, next year I'll be coming on as a student pastor looking after the purpose of ministry across church. Now, when you hear the word teamwork, uh, it usually makes us feel one of two things. You might be the type of person who loves working with others, who's gr had great experience with teams. You felt included, valuable, productive, one of the team. For you, teamwork is the dream work. But for others, the idea of teamwork makes you want to run as far away as possible. You might have had bad experiences of teams, uh, team members who didn't pull their weight, who aren't on board and honestly don't want to be there. Maybe for you, you always wanted to be on a team, but you never got picked. You didn't get the job, you couldn't make the cut. The idea of a team just makes you feel left out, inferior. What these extremes show us is that no matter what your experience of teams, humanity is relational. The fact that we're not alone in this world can have a huge impact on life. It impacts how useful we feel, how happy we are, our sense of purpose, belonging, identity. Now, when I was at uni, I studied mathematics. And generally, math students are a highly structured bunch of people. And this is a big generalization, but Often, the people who are passionate about maths struggle to socialize with other human beings well. I mean, how's this for a joke? What do you get when you cross a hiker with a fly? Don't be silly, you can't cross a vector with a scalar. Now, I can't see whether you're laughing right now at that joke, or maybe you're laughing at me. Uh, a few of you will get what I did there, but for many of you, you're probably thinking, what on earth was he talking about? If you're interested, come find me later for an explanation. But anyway, so there I was doing maths, not really a sociable person, and that's when I found the maths club. Now, I know you're probably thinking, that sounds like the geekiest club on earth, where we all sit around and find areas under 3D curves for fun. But it actually had little to do with solving maths problems. It was actually a release from maths and a chance for people like me to socialize, to play board games, to chat and actually get to know others. Now, don't get me wrong, we still talked about random maths topics from time to time. And sometimes we started looking at optimizing the way we could play some board games. But the time spent just hanging out with others was so helpful. I loved it. And I realized this was something we all needed. I saw people build friendships, come out of their shell, make the shift from mathematical integration to social integration. And chatting with someone on the exec team, I realized that the reason why the club started up was to actually help people like me have a platform to socialize with others. I was so on board. I wanted to be part of the team to make sure it kept happening. And as someone who hadn't been part and or really into team sports or team events, I suddenly realized that if I wanted to see others experience the good that the maths club offered, that teamwork was how to make the dream work. So I put my name down for the executive team and to my surprise, I really enjoyed the challenges of helping people grow. Now, no matter what your experience has been with teams, becoming a Christian, trusting in Jesus, transforms the way we think about teams by bringing us onto a team like no other. 
for those who trust in Jesus, God gives us a place on his team. That is, God extends his hand for us to partner with him in his work, for us to serve with him. I might have been excited serving on the Mets Club exec team, and you might have wanted to be part of a sports team or a business that was doing incredible things. But what's even more incredible than all of those things is being part of God's team, the one who made us, who's controlling all of human history, who has already won and has enlisted us to share in the glory that will come and the joy of serving with him and for him. When it comes to Jesus, teamwork really is the dream work. And this is the heartbeat of ministry, service. A church that has a focus on ministry is one where its members are actively serving one another and the church with who God has made them to be for his glory. I wonder, do you get excited when you hear this? Or perhaps maybe like me, sometimes you get a sinking feeling when you think about serving. What I'm praying is that by the end of this talk, we'd all see how amazing it is to partner with our great God in his work with his people for his glory. But why do we serve? There are lots of reasons we think serving is important, but not all of them are good. And sometimes we think we need to serve because then we'd be good enough for God to get spiritual brownie points. We meet someone like this in Luke 18. Let's take a look at that story that Jesus told in Luke. Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, This one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Isn't it interesting? The Pharisee, the one who thought he would be good enough before God because of all of his serving, ended up not being justified. That is, he wasn't declared right before God. He wasn't good enough. And the Bible isn't quiet on this issue. No amount of works that we perform will ever make us good enough before God. God's standard is perfection. If you're watching this today and you don't yet trust in Jesus, then know that the Bible doesn't say that doing a certain amount of good things will make you right before God. And if you do trust in Jesus, know that your standing with him is independent of your service to him. Let me say that again. Your standing with Jesus is independent of your service to Jesus. Another reason we serve is serving to get something from God. Now, I remember as a kid wanting a Nintendo Game Boy. 
Uh, our grandmother had one that we used to share as siblings, uh, but I really wanted my own one. And I remember thinking, oh, I'll act really nice and maybe my parents will be more likely to give one to me. I tried to be this like angelic child doing my chores and being well-mannered. And those of you who are parents uh, probably experience this every day. And as I look back on this as an adult, it's quite <laughs> amusing because does me acting nice guarantee that my parents would give me the gift? No. And in fact, they didn't end up getting it for me. But if they did, would it really be because I was acting all nice? Not really. They would want to give the gift, assuming it was good for me to have, of course, because they loved me, not because of what I did. How much more so with God? Is there anything we have or can give God that he doesn't already have? It seems crazy to think that we can give something to God to make him give something to us. And then we look at the Bible and see what it has to say about what God's already given us. Ephesians 1 says that we already have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And Romans 8 says, He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? God has already given us so much. And he has promised to give us every good thing that we need. Serving, while thinking that God will bless us and give us stuff if we do the right thing, will lead us to feeling like he owes us. And then from there, it's a short step before we start feeling like he's let us down. A third reason we sometimes serve is to pay God back. Now, I hate the feeling of being indebted to someone, don't you? If we have a debt, whether it's the mortgage on our house or the student loan that's hanging over our heads, we look forward to the day when that weight is gone. And we do this even with relationships sometimes. Sometimes when someone does something really nice for us or gives us something really great, we can feel like we now owe the person something. But if we get into this mindset when it comes to God, if we start thinking we're indebted to God and need to pay him back for what he's done for us through Jesus, will fall into a trap. You know how I mentioned how I wanted a Nintendo Game Boy from my parents? Well, while I didn't get this, one of the things that I did get as a gift from my parents was a PlayStation game. Now, imagine if I, at that point, started going around the house and doing as many chores as I could. And then Im imagine my parents asked me, oh, Austin, why are you doing that? And I said, oh, uh, it's because you got me the PlayStation game. I have to pay you back for it. I don't have money, so I thought if I did two months of chores, then I'd stop feeling like I'd owe you anything. Now, as the parents, I admit, you'd probably feel a little amused by the logic of the kid. But you might also be a little sad, wouldn't you? Because the child didn't think that what they received was an unconditional gift. They thought they needed to pay you back. You see, when we receive something good and we respond with gratitude, it can either lead to a greater love for that person or a sense of indebtedness to that person, wanting to pay them back. And when we do the latter, it makes a gift all about us rather than the other person. We want to be on an equal level with that person rather than honoring that person for what they've done. How many chairs do you need to stack 
to pay God back for all that he's given you? How many people do you need to welcome at the door to pay Jesus back for the agony that he went through on the cross? I mean, when I put it that way, it seems so laughable, right? That we can think that we could pay God back. But friends, how easy it is for us to sometimes fall into this mindset. Let's remember that actually God gives to us freely and that no amount of service we can do can pay him back. All right, so we've seen a few unhelpful reasons to serve and they all stand from a wrong view of God. But sometimes we serve because of a wrong view of others. We might serve to impress others. And you might know this as the phrase people-pleasing. And this one uh, can be a subtle one because getting encouragement isn't wrong. In fact, we want to be people who encourage each other. But Jesus has some really strong words to say on this topic in Matthew 6. And I encourage you to take a look uh, later at the story. But he calls the people who do righteous acts in order to be noticed by others as hypocrites. Because really, when our motivation to serve is to be noticed by others, what we're saying is that as we serve God, we're not really doing it for God at all, but for other people's acceptance. In effect, we're putting other people in the place of God. When our motivation for service is to receive that praise, that encouragement, that being noticed by others, it can either lead us to losing the desire to serve because maybe people don't praise us as much as we wanted, or it can lead to pride because in our being noticed by others, we start to think of how good we are and compare ourselves to others. A good question for us to ask here to check if this is something we think is, when I serve others, would I still be doing this if I knew that no one other than myself and God would ever know I had done it. And this is a hard question because if I'm being honest, I feel like so many times the desire to want to be acknowledged is present. We don't want to feel like our work doesn't mean anything to anyone. But friends, even that isn't true because God does see and he does notice we serve for an audience of one. Another reason we can serve might be because we have a wrong view of ourselves. We think God needs me. Sometimes we serve because we feel like without us, the ministries that we serve in would fall apart, that God needs me specifically to make sure his work gets done. And this can lead to a kind of service that doesn't let up and one where a lot of burden gets added on you, leading to incredible fatigue and pressure. Now, don't get me wrong. I actually think that one of the reasons we push ourselves when we serve is out of a right desire to see people grow and to keep people grounded in Christ and not drift away. But let's be clear. God doesn't need you to do this. God is capable of doing all of these things without you. And he can choose to work through you as well. It's up to him. But he's not dependent on you to see his plans fulfilled. 
And he certainly isn't asking you to serve others at the expense of your faith, rest, or joy. Let me say that again. God does not ask us to serve others at the expense of our faith, rest, or joy. We're no one's savior, only Jesus's. And isn't that so freeing? Part of the freedom of Christian service is that it's not all on us. We're not ultimately responsible in the end. God doesn't need us to bring about his plans and purposes. Well, if you're anything like me, after hearing all those reasons to serve, you might be starting to feel incredibly convicted. Because so often, we can go back and forth across many of these unhelpful reasons. But none of these will give the lasting motivation to serve God. And so often, they instead leave us feeling embittered and tired of serving. Instead, the service that God wants from us, the teamwork that makes the dream work, comes from recognizing that we are people who have already been served. The primary driving motivation to serve is because Jesus has first served us. And once we truly see this and keep this in the front of our minds, we'll experience great joy and freedom in our service. In John 13, which was read out for us earlier on, Jesus served the disciples by washing their feet. Now, you might be thinking, oh, why is this a big deal? But remember, people back then, they didn't have shoes. They didn't have cars either. Uh, To get somewhere, they walked around using their bare feet. Imagine that. A day of walking around in the hot, beating sun with all the sweat and the dust of the road and whatever else might be clinging to your feet. And then someone getting down and washing that. Washing someone's feet was a role that was reserved for a servant. So you can see why Peter was shocked and questioned Jesus washing his feet. The disciples saw him as their teacher, as their Lord. If anything, it should be the other way around. They should be the ones washing his feet. But no, Jesus washes their feet. And afterwards, what he says is really profound. Come with me now to that story in John 13. Let's take a look at verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Jesus washed the disciples' feet to set an example to show them an example of service. And isn't this who we want to become, to be more like Jesus? We learned about this just last week when we looked at maturity, right? Every day, step by step, more like Jesus. And we know that ultimately Jesus didn't stop at washing the disciples' feet in his service. No. This was pointing forward to something that happened only a few chapters later, where Jesus went on to perform the greatest act of service of all. 
giving up his life for us, dying on the cross to set us free from our sins. Just dwell on that for a few moments. Jesus, the Son of Man, the one for whom all authority is reserved, the one who flung the stars into space, the King of kings and Lord of lords, he died for you. He died for me. Isn't that so incredible? As Mark 10, 45 says, the Son of Man did not come to be served. He didn't come with us needing to serve at his beck and call. But he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As one song says, amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, should die for me? We don't serve to be good enough for God or to pay God back or to get something from God or to impress others or even because God needs us. No. The reason why we serve as Christians is because we have a king who first served us and in the most incredible way possible. Maybe over the course of these past couple of years of lockdown, you start to feel burdened weighed down or embittered by church commitments and serving. And I'm not just talking about formal church serving roles. I'm talking about any kind of expending energy and time for others. Maybe the thought of serving brings you dread. You're not excited about the thought of serving on the pack and save team when church comes back to meet in person. Or maybe you're tired and you don't want to be a connect group leader anymore. Or maybe you don't want to expend your energy to come to someone's house to watch the church service there. I can relate. Over the past couple of years, these years have been tough. And I've actually had thoughts of just giving up. I thought, I don't want to lead people through a pandemic and all the stress that comes with that. Is what I'm doing really worth it? I just want a bit more time for myself. What you need to do, what I need to do, is simple. Come to Jesus. For it's only if we see that first and foremost, we are not servants, but we are served, that we can know the joyful freedom of the Christian life. And in doing so, find that we serve like we've never served before. So now that we've got that in mind, this idea that we serve because we've first been served by Jesus. What does serving actually look like? And how do we go about serving? What we'll see is that God has given each of us gifts to serve one another as his stewards for his glory. Come with me to 1 Peter 4, where we'll see this. 1 Peter 4 verse 10. Just as each one has received a gift, Use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. First, 
we see that God has given each of us gifts to serve others. Now, when we hear the word gift, it's easy for us as Christians to over-spiritualize it. Uh, we might start thinking, did God give me the gift of teaching? Or maybe I have the gift of prophecy. And we start going through the gift lists that we see in the New Testament. I don't think that's what Peter is saying here. When he's talking about the gift that each one has received, he's talking about all of who we are. For isn't everything that we have and all of who we are given to us by God? Any possession we have or the intellect that God has given us or our ability to teach or even the experiences that we've gone through, these have all been given to us by God. And each of these things can be used to serve others. You could even say that we're the gift to one another. Now, God has given all of us gifts, but the gifts are useless unless we actually use them to serve others. God doesn't give all that he's given us just so that we can be selfish with them. Here's an example that some people can overlook. Have you thought that actually having a car and a full license is a gift that God has given you to serve others? That actually you can serve others who may not have a car by dropping them off somewhere or picking them up to go to church? Or maybe you're a student. Have you thought that with the extra time that you have, and trust me, you do have extra time as a student, it's actually a gift from God that you can use to serve others. Even just a couple of weeks ago, someone who had just finished their exams got in touch with the staff team and asked if there was anywhere they could serve. That's using the gift of time that this person had. Or maybe you're a parent. You're flat out with your kids. But the fact that you have kids can be a gift, not just for yourself, but for others, as you have the opportunity to invite people around who don't have families to share in the joy of community. If you've been given the gift of seeing something stand out to you in a Bible study during Connect Group, that knowledge doesn't need to be just for you to enjoy. But you can actually serve others by speaking up and sharing what stood out. Peter doesn't say, if you've been given a gift, then serve others. He assumes that each of us have received gifts. And this is why at EV, we see that it's key for everyone at church to be serving. We're all ministers. That is, we're all servants. The phrase we use at EV is every member ministry. It's not just the church staff or a select few who serve at church, but everyone. But this doesn't just mean that every one of us needs to sign up for a formal serving role at church, although I do highly recommend it but that we should think through how we can use our whole lives to serve others. But not only have we been given gifts to serve others, we're to do it as God's stewards. Now, steward isn't really a word we use often, but a steward is basically someone who's looking after something that belongs to someone else. In particular, they've been given responsibility over that thing. So it's a bit more than just borrowing and lending something for a time, uh, but rather they're to manage the thing that's been given to them in place of the owner. One of the things we could be stewards over is a business. You might be someone who's business savvy and one of your close friends who owns a business might ask you to look after 
to steward their business while they go away on a work trip. You've been given the responsibility to manage their business, but it's not actually yours. One day, your friend will come back and take over the management of the business again. In 1 Peter 4.10, Peter tells us that we're to use our gifts to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. What does this mean? It means that Peter is emphasizing that the gifts we have are not ours. They're God's. And not only that, but we're called to manage them. We've been given responsibility over them, just like the person who's been given responsibility over a business that may not be theirs. But do we do this out of duty or maybe even out of resentment? No. Now, some of you may know that I'm the head tenant of a guy's flat in Epsom. And right now, I oversee a flat of about eight guys. Uh, and the special thing about this situation is that I know the landlord. And he's one of my closest friends. And as I look after the house, there's a sense in which I'm stewarding it for him while he's not living there. During my holidays about a month ago, I had some time to think of some things that need to get done around the house, like a window that needed to get replaced. And even though I knew the house wasn't mine, because I've been put in charge with looking after the house, and because of my deep love for my friend, I wanted to make sure that the house would be treated with care. And the time I spent helping sort stuff out on their behalf was done in joy. It wasn't a burden. This is the same between us and God. The stewardship of God's gifts, it should be driven and motivated by our love for God, like we saw when we looked at how we've been served by Jesus. Our love for God drives us to want to be a good steward. We want to be able to use our gifts well for God's purposes, not squandering them, knowing that we've been given responsibility over them by someone who loves us deeply. But that's not all. There's one more thing that Peter says that we do when we use our gifts to serve others. We serve to bring glory to God. Bringing glory to God means that we're bringing honor to Him or bringing fame to His name. And in light of this, it makes sense why serving brings Him glory, right? This is because, like we've already seen, our service is only possible through our gifts, who we are, and this is only ours because God gave it to us. When you and I serve, there's no room for proud boasting in ourselves. Oh, look at me, I can play the most awesome riff on a guitar. Sorry, guitar players. No, your talents on a guitar, your knowledge, the money that you have, they all come from God. So when we serve, we glorify God. That doesn't mean we shouldn't thank people or praise people when they serve. No, do that as a way to love and build up one another. But remember, behind every act of service, the one who should ultimately be praised is God. The next time someone serves you, you might want to say, Oh, thanks so much, Jill. I'm so thankful to God for how you continue to lead us week by week in Connect Group. Now, don't treat it like a formula, like you have to say that every time. But you get what I mean, right? Let's remember that all that we have is from God and praise God when we serve and see others serving. Earlier on, 
ask the question, are you excited by being part of God's team? That you get a chance to serve God and partner with Him in His work. My prayer for us all is that we would be able to say, yes, I am. That as we look at Jesus and are captivated by Him and how He's served us, we might be encouraged to use all of our lives to serve Him as we serve others. Not doing it for our fame, but for God's glory. We're on Jesus' team. So as we wrap up this series, looking at our foundational purposes as a church and as Christians, I want to leave us with this encouragement, that we would strive to be well-rounded disciples of Christ. And what I mean by this is that we don't come away from this series thinking that, oh, I'll only focus on one purpose, that I'll only focus on mission and proclaim the news of Jesus, or that I'll only focus on membership and help people belong to the EV community. No. Church, let's grow in all of these areas. And as we've gone through this series, you've probably felt more convicted on particular purposes more than others. And I want to say, keep praying to God that He would grow you in these. If mission isn't super strong for you, then maybe you could find someone in church who's on fire for a mission and get some tips from them. Like we saw in membership, we're all partners in Christ, striving together for the sake of the gospel. But there are probably some other purposes which just resonated with you. You might just really love the idea of maturing others to be more like Jesus. Like we saw today, let's steward what God has given us well. So lean into that and find ways where you can use that passion for God's glory. Friends, as we look to who God is and what He has done for us in Jesus, as we are more and more captivated by Christ, Let's be people who magnify God, people who live for God in every aspect of our lives. Let's be people who are on mission, people who proclaim the amazing message of our Lord Jesus Christ to all those we come across. Let's be people on fire for membership, longing for ourselves and others to belong to the EV community. Let's be people who are ever maturing, growing in our love and knowledge of God to be more like our Savior Jesus. And let's be people who minister, serving one another with the gifts that God has given us, knowing that we have first been served by Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that like we've seen today in your word, you have first served us that Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, has served us. How amazing is this love and how incredible it is. We don't deserve it. But we pray, Father, just like Jesus gave us this example of service, we might be able to serve others, that we'd be able to use all that you've given us as good stewards to serve others for your glory. Help us, we pray, to, in every aspect of our lives, praise you and point others to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful, and if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, 
We'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.